0: Mula is no stranger to shifting shapes, she's a professional ballerina, a psychologist, a teacher, mother of two, and an expert in postnatal rehab. Having grown up in South Africa, she trained in the UK before settling down in Lisbon as part of her latest adventure. In this episode, we talk about finding your calling by focusing on what you truly desire and giving yourself the freedom to experiment and fail particularly if you've been taught all your life to numb that part of your being. But what if your interests and ideas don't seem to fit together at first sight? Don't worry, it would all make sense if you give it time.
1: You know, as I said, I did the psychology degree and Pilates teacher training and I was dancing and I, and I often used to think like, how are these ever going to fit together? And sometimes I speak to dancers and they kind of say the same thing. I've got so many ideas. I want to do this and I want to, and I just don't know which one to go for first. And actually they will fit together. (laughs) You've got to give it time. Hello, Simone.
0: How are you? So pleased to have you on the show
1: today. Thanks for having me on. Good to be here.
0: So as far as I understand, you are in Portugal and you recently just moved there. So what's going on and what are you focusing on at the moment? Yeah.
1: So we moved like eight weeks ago. Um, so I'm from South Africa originally, and mm-hmm. it's quite amazing how similar uh, mm, where we are in Lisbon is to to Cape Towns. Um, but yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be able to carry on my work that I was doing in London. So um, that part's been fairly easy. And yeah, the kids have settled in at school. So early days, but yeah, we're getting there. Mm-hmm. And when you say carrying on with the work,
0: that is you being a full-time teacher of Pilates and not just any Pilates and we will get into that but I just want um, I, I, we were joking before to show sure, them maybe it's better if you pronounce the terms rather than me because I'll probably get the wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah sure so yes yeah, so I teach um a quite specific technique called hyperpressives um, and it focuses on postnatal rehab so um, I work with women mostly who've had kids although To be fair, this technique is good for everybody. Um, And yeah, I've got a platform which um, kind of came out of lockdown, I guess. Um, And so I do that three days a week. And then twice a week, I work for a charity called Dancers Career Development. um, And we help dancers to retrain in different professions uh, post-performing. So yeah, my, my jobs are a little varied. Yes well that's
0: exactly what we like to hear about because as you know our theme this season is about nonlinear careers and you've certainly had one and in fact what most people might not know is that your career started at the tender age of 14 when you left South Africa and moved to be a dancer.
1: Yeah so I um, went into full-time training at 14 and Left my family, which, yeah, of course, when I, you know, I've, I've got two kids that are five and eight. And when I think, think about the possibility of them going to the other side of the world, I'm not sure I would be able to do it myself. Um, but yeah, so I was in, um, full time training. Um, I started off at a school called Elmhurst Ballet School and then went to the Royal Ballet School um, and then finished off at Central School of Ballet. Um, And then I performed with Northern Ballet Theatre. So yeah, kind of um, very much in the classical world. And um, I then went back to South Africa. I had a foot operation, which kind of, I guess, altered the track a little bit. Um, But then I started working for Cape Town City Ballet um and I was there for several years and then then moved into contemporary dance so yeah my life was very much all about dance that was that was it and what does it feel like can you give us
0: a glimpse of what what does it feel like to be a professional dancer how is what I mean it doesn't sound like it's a normal uh, anything like a standard job and by that I mean nine to five
1: yeah so I think the the thing to kind of say is that it's um it's hugely consuming. So I think, and and this is in my role now in speaking to dancers and trying to find a new career, is that because it's so consuming and because it's so kind of single focused, um, it can be quite hard to really have an idea of what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, And I'd say dancers are, tend to be very much like, type A personalities, perfectionists getting things right, doing things over and over and over again. And that's kind of part of the training. Like you almost can't really do it unless you are completely committed to, you know, getting better and better and um, working really hard day after day. So I'd say like that kind of drive and determination is instilled really young. And that, also, you know, feels quite different. You know, we're most... Teenagers are able to kind of have a little bit of balance in terms of their social life. And for dancers, that's not even really up for discussion. So, you know, there's there's uh, that side of the dedication. But then there's also a side, I think, and especially I see this now in working with older dancers, is that the way that it's kind of set up is very much that you shouldn't really have too much of an opinion. Um, so dancers are kind of very much uh encouraged to kind of do what they told um so it's quite difficult if you've been in a very set routine and schedule and kind of being told when to do what and how to do it to then have your own kind of individual ideas of what else you want to do with your life so um so I work a lot with dancers on on that too of like you know finding something for them that has passion and has excitement which is often you know if they've blocked out so much of the world besides for being in a studio or a theater it's almost like they can't entertain their idea um of there being any other possibilities and I'd also the last thing I'd say is is that there's kind of a commitment to dance that if you think about something else you somehow slightly feeling like a traitor which I'd say this thinking is like is is not as as embedded as it was when I when I performed it's very consuming if yes. you will
0: and and you're not you almost think that you're not going to give it a hundred percent if you're not in the thing a hundred percent of the time
1: yeah and also I'd say the competition is so tough right so it's not like mm-hmm. and, and I think that's probably part of this too is that dancers kind of know and they you know all through your training you kind of told you probably won't make it (laughs) so you know there's that so so if you're not committed and if you're not like in it 100 percent you don't really stand much chance um and such a small percentage of dancers actually become professional that go through the training so you know there's that part too of of it being Mm -hmm. hugely demanding yeah and what about
0: mental health because we we did touch upon that a little bit and Especially in classical dancing, we hear a lot of stories about pressure being put on young dancers to look a certain way, to weigh a certain number of kilos or to behave even in a certain way. And have you ever come across that, or maybe in the work that you're doing now with other dancers is is there a an emphasis not just on what's the next step but actually helping them move past and get over some of these challenges?
1: I'd say the the thing that feels difficult is kind of having autonomy and having clarity in what you want. Because so much of the time, you know, as I was saying, like when there's a, there's this saying of the show, show must go on. You know, so like mm-hmm. no matter what you're feeling, you kind of get really good at cutting that off. So I think that, that kind of happening over many years starts to almost alter your what we call in the kind of movement world interoception like your internal feelings of sensation it alters dramatically and i i would say like you know when when i had my kids my first my first labor um you know completely did not go according to plan and i almost felt like my pain threshold was like ridiculously high because for so many years i'd kind of known pain so it wasn't like a new feeling for me at all and and I can just push through. And so, you know, now in my, in my work, I often have dancers who kind of feel like they need to figure everything else, everything out on their own. So I talk a lot about um, being experimental and kind of giving yourself, you know, after this really intensive training and career, is there the possibility that you could have some space to experiment and try? And, you know, maybe something, feels good or maybe it doesn't, but until you try something else, you kind of won't know. Mm-hmm. Um so so yeah, so I think it's two part. I think it's getting clearer of what you actually want after it being slightly numbed for many years. But then also this idea that actually you don't have to be brilliant at everything, especially when you're starting something new. I think that's a kind of when you become so expert at something, it's quite difficult to be kind of beginnerish, like to to try to dabble to give something a go, because you've been at such a high level um, in your profession, it almost like hinders you from from taking the risk. So we talk a lot about like you know trying things and seeing if seeing if they fit. Try them on. Like there's there's no way of knowing until you do that.
0: Well, this is exactly what I was thinking. I think there's certainly that applies to dancers and I can see how, but I think that's probably true of everyone who's ever had to change their career, whether they they might be a dancer or not. There's something about vulnerability and showing weakness, knowing that you're learning again after having had maybe reached a peak in, in one specific area. And then also setting your boundaries by the sounds of it and, you know, not pushing through pain just for the sake of some some goal I suppose that you know may or may not be worthwhile and I and I I don't know how you felt when you had to change your careers but um I think that's a topic that comes up a lot in conversations with um out of, out of people out of women
1: yeah I think um it's it's really interesting so I think the identity of a dancer is so it's their work but then it's their identity and it's so enmeshed that in starting something it almost feels in a, in a way like, and I can totally see how it would relate to, you know, other career changes. Um, but the, so the dancers that I work with have got this real strong identity um, in seeing themselves as a performer. They always are probably introduced in their family as the dancer. That's kind of how people know them. And then if they're not the dancer, then who are they? And then at the same time, they most likely somewhere in their mid thirties, maybe late thirties. And they are starting again, potentially into a world that they have no idea about and no contact and no, potentially no training. And I guess there's a lot of, you know, in the world that I'm in through women's health, there's a lot of moms that I meet that kind of go on a similar journey, that having kids and thinking, okay, so my old career just doesn't fit anymore what's next for me like what else could I what else could I do um I think it's that and I think everybody does this in different ways but this kind of peeling back of yourself and kind of what your values are and seeing what else can align with you um I there's a a a dance psychologist um who spoke um for us who really talks about a very like analytical process in finding a new career, and um she sp- she made it to principal dancer. And um, for her, she realized in her career as she went on, she became more kind of separated from the rest of the company and rest of the group. So her rehearsals would happen on her own. Her- she would be in a dressing room on her own, and she realized over time that actually she was less happy in this job, even though like on paper principal dancer is where everyone's aiming for the dream job right <laughs> and so then she when she was kind of looking at well what else do I want to do it became clear to her, I want to work with people and and then she became a psychologist and and it kind of yeah it's, it's you know that always stuck with me of like a very practical analytical approach to finding the next thing um, because there's always going to be something of a job that you like and and something that you don't like but finding those bits that you do like can be really helpful in finding that next thing and how did you find your next thing and your
0: calling or maybe you're still finding it but obviously you went through that process yourself so how did that work out for you
1: um so yeah i think i I was saying this to you before is that Mm -hmm. the the thing that felt really interesting for me postpartum was that within my kind of mom group through nct um Besides for one other good friend who is freelance, everybody else had a very kind of set return to work. So they had like keep in touch days. And, you know, was, uh, within this group, there were civil servants, there were lawyers. Um, and so, yeah, they had very kind of set path. And that felt so different to my experience. So my experience was, I don't really want to go back to dance. I kind of know that I'm done. Um, I'd done a Pilates Pilates teacher training when I was um, injured in South Africa. So I had been teaching kind of alongside dance. I'd also done a psychology degree while I was Mm -hmm. dancing. So I kind of had those bits, but I kind of, I knew I didn't want to teach Pilates full time. And I also wasn't sure (laughs) what the other thing was. Like I'd kind of, I'd done a few different projects, um, I got some funding to bring two dancers over from South Africa to study at Central School of Ballet. And that kind of had given me a taste of, I guess, project management. Um, And that had gone quite well. So there was something exciting about that. Um, But yeah, it felt like unsure to me of what, what I could do. Um, So I started teaching postnatal Pilates and then some pregnancy Pilates. Um, and that was growing. And, you know, my, my son was like 13 months or so by this point. And I felt like I needed to get out of the house. I felt like I was slightly losing my mind, like just thinking about naps continuously. Um, and because all of our families in South Africa, we didn't have kind of any support through family being nearby with childcare. So I eventually just decided, like, he just needs to go into nursery and I need to kind of figure out next bits. Um, I, I think I did one dance project to kind of see if that was still in me which i actually enjoyed but i i kind of the childcare aspect just felt so complicated that i i just didn't feel like i don't know the the thing about freelance being so sporadic and having to like rearrange teaching and i i could feel i was building something with the teaching that i didn't want to just kind of give up whenever a job came up um so i had gone to an alumni event for dancers' career development. Um, And I was chatting to somebody who did business, uh, he he did, sorry, company management. And I'd kind of had this idea in my head of like dance management, company management. Didn't really know what it involved, to be honest, but I kind of felt like there was something that I liked organizing things and maybe there was something in this direction. And he basically said to me, if there's a company that you like, I would advise you to just get in touch with them, try and arrange a coffee, like see if there's any possibilities of just kind of getting a foot in the door and just seeing what they're about. And I was like, well, actually, I really like dancers' career development. <laughs> we were at this drinks um, that was like hosted by dancers' career development. I was like, I-, I can see what they do and I can see the support they give dancers, and I there's something that I feel um, an affinity to. So he was like, well, get in touch with them, like just you know, <laughs> we yeah mm-hmm. do do something. Um, so I did. So I I, I kind of spoke to someone who's now a colleague, and she was like, you know, just get in touch and we'll have a meeting and see kind of what, what can come from it. So I actually interned for a year. I did one day a week, um, and then I had another child. So in amongst this time, I was also teaching uh, postpartum, and I kind of felt like what I was doing with Pilates was getting to a certain level, but I was seeing women with quite complicated issues not improving. And that kind of spurred me on to like finding more, like just seeing, is there another way to do this? Because I could feel on my own body that um, what I had been doing previously in training just was not having the same effect. So someone I danced with in South Africa, who was now in Canada, told me about this technique called low pressure fitness that was devised in Spain. And, um, so I booked the course and I went to Spain and learnt the technique um, and I guess it, it completely shifted my perception on postnatal healing so like there were a lot of trainers from all over the world that had been doing this technique some of them had like three kids they had worked with issues like prolapse and incontinence and they had healed them and I was I was totally taken by the whole thing and I kind of I knew this was my next next thing so I had my second child and then I started doing the technique myself and yeah, it was, it was quite like life-changing for me. Um, so my first rehabilitation had been quite complicated and this felt really straightforward. And I think it like propelled me to share this with other women, um, which kind of, you know, it started quite small. It was local. It was some moms in my living room basically. And then in the park. Um, but then I started a class and that was growing over time. And kind of, I started working with physiotherapists and they were referring to me and I would do more one-to-one work as well. Um, and then COVID happened, right? So then everything went online. And on the same week as the first lockdown, I got a call from the charity to say, do you want to come back and work for us? So at the, the previous time it had just been like a year thing that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started working with them. And I guess it was, you know, baptism of fire because I went straight into working with independent artists who were suddenly their whole, you know, industry had been shut down. So it was, it was a, it was quite an intense time. Um, and then I started doing all my classes online. So through that time, they, they kind of became more of a possibility of this becoming like a full business. And creating online content and having like a holding platform for it. So that's kind of where I'm at now is that I teach four classes a week on zoom, but then I also record content, which sits on the platform and I have around like 150 subscribers. Um, And it's kind of grown also into, I now have like guest speakers once a month um, talking about different aspects of women's health Um, so like the community is growing through that too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I admit I did go on the website and I thought, Oh, there's a few free videos. Maybe I should try some of that. And then I thought, well, let's have the conversation first and actually understand what this is about, because I think there might be a bit of a, I don't know if it's misconception, maybe it is the right idea that you, this is mostly relevant to those who've given birth, but is there any merit in maybe looking into those exercises and that technique, even before you give birth, maybe before you even get pregnant,
1: or even if you're not planning to get pregnant at all? I, I... Yeah, sure. So I'd say it's quite of a um, new, well, I say it's new. It's, it's definitely the technique's been around for a long time, but new definitely to a UK audience um, in terms of core training, pelvic floor training posture training um, so it's a breathing technique and the origins of it uh, come from yoga um, but it has been adapted to very specific poses kind of doing this breathing technique and really what we what we're doing is we are working the diaphragm which kind of sits in the rib cage like a little dome and we're using that to kind of change the coordination of the core and also get movement happening through the pelvic floor. So I would say like kind of across the board in terms of awareness of pelvic floor, people know about like the squeezy app. If you become pregnant, you're kind of told from the beginning, do your pelvic floor exercises religiously for the rest of your life. Um, And although those work for some women, they don't work for everybody. And in fact, in some situations, they can actually make Pelvic floor dysfunction worse, especially if there's something called hypertonicity, which is where the pelvic floor is too tight. Um, I'd say in with, within the context of women's health, slowly there's kind of awareness that there is another way, because for so long there's only been this this kind of one technique, um, and so there's change change happening. Um, in France, for example, if you have a baby, you have these ten physio sessions afterwards. And in these physio sessions, you learn this technique. So there's much more support in terms of rehabilitating the pelvic floor. Um, But then saying that for like kind of where this technique has gone in Spain is that it's for sports people. It's kind of for everybody. So you Mm kind of, so there's, you know, for sure it it very much suits the postnatal body because we have such extreme postural changes over the nine months that to kind of get the strength back into the body um and getting posture back is really important but i'd say for everybody and especially like you know sitting at desks head forward (laughs) that whole part exactly hands, shoulders that that part is really important yeah for every human i would say
0: so if someone's listening and they think oh that sounds interesting where 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 do they start where do i start let's let's assume they're in the uk
1: yeah. so i'd say um I mean, there is definitely f- a few different versions of this um what i teach is called low pressure fitness so that's the technique that's um as i said is quite big in spain it's now quite it's growing in the us um my platform is called recenter so re-center um and the main thing really and, and kind of the way i've set up my platform is that i do a session with everybody that joins to teach them the techniques i said you know it's quite specific and it's important that it's done correctly so yeah to kind of keep quality good and and kind of clarity around it we do the session together to to really make sure that you've got the technique before you start um cuz you know in my opinion some of the online stuff can be dangerous if you're just doing that without any kind of input um Right. And as you were speaking, I was also thinking about
0: a few things that you mentioned during this conversation about, you know, how you found your um, passion to work with people to help other dancers using your own experience. And and then also, it sounds to me now that you're not just teaching these classes, but you are also trying to spread the word and, and just raise awareness. So it seems like there's a bit of a theme there about just, trying to help others is that your true calling you think uh,
1: yeah i think so i think so i'm an <laughs> so I is there's, there's that thing of of helping um but i think also there's definitely something in me when i kind of see a problem and then i see a solution and bringing those things together you know that there's this possibility of being able to have health and have um fulfillment right i i had a coaching session once um which was through through the charity through dcd and my coach literally said to me like i want you to think what is possible what you know s- stop fixating on how things are going right now like what is possible that can happen and that was like a massive shift for me um and it's really stuck with me because i think there's a yeah there's a sense of, of having kind of like quite a like predestined idea of how your life's going to unfold and actually what i've found for myself is that doing different things is quite interesting so not just having one career like being having the possibility of having many careers and trying different things and feeling how those can develop in their time um and and that can be really hard when you've just kind of stuck to one thing um, because then, yeah, once that once that structure is pulled away, how do you sit? Like, how do you find different bits of motivation? Mm.
0: Well, it's interesting because I, I certainly hadn't thought about that. And you said, well, maybe I can have, or people can have few careers. At the same time, we always feel like it has to be a choice between this, between that. And then if we're not 100% at everything, a bit like with that dancer mentality, then you're mm. failing and you're failing in life. And then on top of it, you, you're also a mum, which is another full-time career even right. though we may not always recognize it as a career but it is and you're raising two children with your partner and you know how do you balance all of those things when somebody might be sitting there thinking well I'd quite like to have a few careers but I can barely even manage you know raising the children and having my
1: full-time job yeah so I mean look it's not some some days are easier than others <laughs> um, and you know I've, I've got my piece and trucks and they do too you know we all the different personalities making this whole thing go forward so yeah I'd say look in the UK of course we know about the whole child care thing that is very difficult but at least having one year with your child I think is super helpful so although um maternity allowance you know was not a massive amount it did allow me to have that year of really kind of feeling into being a mom like it was a whole you know and I think we might have mentioned before but the The idea of like that beginner brain of like starting something new, parenting really showed me that. So this idea of like, you've got this little baby that you know nothing really about and how it all works. You know, you've kind of only heard stories from other people of how to do this thing. And then you've got to figure it out. You've got to find out their cues. You've got to find out what they want. They can't tell you anything. Um, And that like changed for me, this thing of learning new skills. Because suddenly, you know, within a couple of months, I kind of understood what I had to do and, and it felt more natural than I, you know, definitely thought it was in the beginning. Um, but yeah, day to day, we have challenges. <laughs> My <laughs> husband is um, very much, you know, co-parenting with me. So Monday nights I teach and he manages the kids and gets, every, you know, means that I can do what I need to do. Um, and yeah, we kind of, we, we make it work. Yeah. And I was thinking, do you ever miss dancing or any part of
0: that lifestyle or you're more like I've been there, done that. I'm quite happy where I am now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that the thing that's is, um, it's an interesting career because it's perceived one way. Um, and I, you know, I think we were saying like, there's not many jobs you're given like flowers at the end of your working day. It's quite, (laughs) it's quite an odd, (laughs) an odd thing. And, and, and in a way, dancers kind of become these like slight idols. Um, and, you know, so that, that kind of stepping away from it is quite interesting because there's that identity part, but there's also this idea that you somehow more than human. It's quite an interesting, um, view that people have, um, but I think for me, what has, what's been really nice is that I've been able to kind of keep a little bit in the dance world, but not physically. So yeah, being able to help dancers in this particular time where, you know, I often say like, it's messy. It's not, it's not neat. Like they've, they've had this intense performance or they haven't, and they feel quite hard done by in that not being what they thought it would be. And they'd kind of devoted so much time to their training and and then it just wasn't what they thought it would be. And then finding something else to fulfill that, like, you know, we're talking about adrenaline, we're talking about, you know, a goal and striving and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I can kind of understand what they're going through. But I don't, mm. I don't really miss it physically, no.
0: Mm. Yeah, actually, I didn't expect you to say that you did. And I did have a conversation with a retired actress once. And she said, you know what, it's actually, I don't. Mm. It was quite tough being on set or being on stage every night. And, um, you know, she, she eventually started her own business, but that's another story. Mm. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'd say COVID was this like really rare opportunity for dancers to experience life without dance. And of course, for many of them, it was intensely difficult, especially if they were at like the peak of their career, you know, because they were losing, of course, like time is such a valuable commodity mm. um, in dance. Um, but for some that were kind of unsure whether they were really feeling fulfilled, it was this opportunity to experience life and, you know, 100%, we were in crazy times, but experience life differently. The change. Yeah. Yeah, I've spoken to many who actually use that as kind of a time of clarity of like, so this is what it feels like if I'm not doing a show, you know, six or seven times a week. This is what it's like if I don't have to every single day put my body through these these paces. So yeah, it's, a, it's interesting what kind of came out of that time. Mm-hmm and just before you go i did want to ask you one more
0: thing which is what's what's ahead for you and what what's next where do you hope this journey will take you you've just gone through a big change moving locations starting over in the new country so what's next for you
1: so i think growing the platform feels like very much the next step like being able to reach more women being able to kind of spread the word of of this technique feels important to me um i'd i would so say since i've been here i've started doing yoga practice in person with other people and i've actually really enjoyed that too so i'd like to build a community here i'm doing in-person classes and retreats i've got a, quite a few people in the uk who are quite keen to come over and do retreats um here in portugal so yeah i think that's kind of next next step and um I'm. I feel really lucky to be able to work remotely. I think that's you know another gift that COVID gave of of being able to 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 do the work that I'm doing, but from here, um, and yeah, I'm kind of also being open to, <laughs> to other things. Um, but for now, I'd say my main my main thing is kind of growing growing recenter, seeing seeing how I can help. Really, yeah, and
0: I think that there's something very nice about it, as you said, just staying open and. Doing it organically in a way that you have an idea of where you want to get to, but you don't know exactly how you're going to get there. But you have the confidence to know that you will, and I think that's a theme that comes up a lot in these conversations. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, one other thing I'd, I'd add is that I, you know, as I said, I did the psychology degree and Pilates teacher training, and I was dancing, and I, and I often used to think like, how are these ever going to fit together? Um and sometimes I speak to dancers and they kind of say the same thing. Like I've got so many ideas, like I want to do this and I want to, and I just don't know which one to go for first. And, and I kind of t- often say like, actually they will fit together. <laughs> you kind of got to give it time because it's not, it's not going to reveal itself just yet. Like it will take time. And, and at some point it will make sense. Like all these skills that you're adding will eventually come together in some form. But, um, yeah. And I think that's, that's something too, like in, I guess in the stage of life I'm at now, I'm kind of looking, men- menopause feels like it's around the corner. So like there's, there's something here to like add more knowledge and, and maybe grow in that area too. So, but it, it will eventually connect. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, I suppose there's something about just being true to yourself. And I think as long as you do these things, because you actually feel that that is your calling or you enjoy them and You know, maybe the the how is going to come or when is going to come a little bit later. And I think it's important to remind ourselves not to put all that pressure on that one thing and having it all at the same time, because sometimes it just needs a little bit of space.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. 100%. Yeah. I love Simone's story because it's a good reminder that if you stay open to listening within, you will inevitably find your path through life. Next time on the show, we have Patricia Wing, a lawyer who left the corporate world behind to set on a mission to democratise access to legal support. Thank you so much for listening to The Sound of Breaking Glass. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to follow us on your podcast app, tell a friend about us, or check us out on LinkedIn. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. It's been a real pleasure. Till next time.